All right, a brief word before we get started. This brief word is to ask you for your help. So in 2014, Ascension began producing digital content with which you are familiar. So YouTube videos and podcasts and articles. And since then, it's only ramped up. The purpose of this content is to help you grow in your faith and to give you resources to help others do the same. Uh, so it's like every week there are 18 videos and podcasts released, which are a kind of expose of the truth, the goodness, the beauty of God and of his church and of his sacraments and of all those things that he puts at our disposition to grow in the knowledge and love of him. So while this content is free to consume, it is not free to make. So we're asking you to consider making a financial gift to help offset some of the costs of production associated with you know, Ascension Presents YouTube channel and Bible in a Year, this podcast, other things besides. So if you or someone you know has benefited personally from Ascension's work, please consider making a gift. Any amount is truly appreciated and will go towards production costs and all that's associated with that. So to make a gift, please visit ascensionpress.com support or click the link in the description. Again, that is ascensionpress.com support. I feel like the cantor at the beginning of Mass. Welcome. Today is the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our celebrant is Father Gregory, and you can find your opening hymn at 876. Again, that's 876. No, it's ascensionpress.com slash support. So whether you're able to support uh, the work financially or not, please keep the entire Ascension team in your prayers as they continue to do the work of God. And as, yeah, things just keep going further up and further in to the glory that awaits us all. All right, prayers for you. Please pray for us. Cheers. Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 32. Today, we'll be reading part three, Certain Counsels for the Practice of the Virtues, chapters 40 through 41, pages 355 through 361 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, here's a quick look at what we'll be covering. Over the last few chapters, as we're coming to the end of part three, St. Francis has offered advice for friendship, general relationships, and now for married couples. Now, at the conclusion of part three in these last two chapters, St. Francis offers some final advice to widows and single women or maidens. What he says in these chapters, though, as with some other points, might initially seem maybe irrelevant to us, the principles of living the single life remain and are super applicable. Chastity lived at different points of life is always a preparation for something, and St. Francis wants to direct our attention to this very preparation. So, before we get to the reading, let's say a prayer. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 40. Counsels for Widows. 
St. Paul instructs all prelates in the person of Timothy, saying, Honor widows who are real widows. Now, to be a real widow, the following conditions are necessary. 1. The widow in question must be one not only in body but also in heart. That is, she must be wholly resolved to remain in the state of a chaste widowhood. For those who are only widows until an opportunity to be married again presents itself are only widows as to their bodies, though they are already remarried as concerns the desire of the heart. However, if she who is a widow indeed consecrates herself to God by a vow in order to confirm herself in the state of widowhood, she will add a great ornament to her widowhood and will provide great security for her resolution, for then she will not allow even the least thought of marriage to occupy her heart for a single moment. Thus, this sacred vow will serve as a strong barrier between her soul and all things contrary to her resolutions." St. Augustine strongly recommended that Christian widows take such a vow, and the ancient and learned Origen goes much farther still, for he exhorts married women to vow and dedicate themselves to chaste widowhood in case their husbands die before them, so that amid the pleasures of marriage they may also, by means of this anticipated promise, enjoy the merit of a chaste widowhood. A vow makes the good works done in pursuit of it more acceptable to God, strengthens our resolution to do them, and gives God not only the good works which are, as it were, the fruits of our good will, but dedicates to him the will itself which is, as it were, the tree trunk from which all our actions branch out. By mere chastity we lend our body to God, retaining, however, the freedom to indulge in sensual pleasures at some future time. By contrast, by a vow of chastity, we make an absolute and irrevocable gift of our body to God, without reserving to ourselves any power to recall it, thereby happily rendering ourselves servants of him in whose service we are better stationed than any royalty. Now I highly approve that counsel given by these two great men, but I should wish that these souls which are so happy to desire to follow it should do it prudently, in a holy manner, and gravely having first fully examined their resolutions, invoking the light of heaven, and taking counsel from some wise and devout director. In this way, everything will be done with greater fruitfulness. 2. Moreover, this renunciation of second marriage must be done with the simple intent to turn all of one's soul's affections wholly and entirely toward God, joining the whole heart with that of His divine majesty. For if the desire to leave her children rich or any other worldly motive keep the widow in her state of widowhood, She may perhaps receive praise for it, but certainly not before God. For in the eyes of God, nothing can truly merit praise except what is done for his sake. 3. Moreover, the widow who wishes to truly be a widow must voluntarily separate and restrain herself from worldly satisfactions, for she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. To desire to be a widow while nevertheless being pleased and being courted, flattered, and caressed, Being fond of balls, dancing and feasting, indulging in perfumes, dress and affectation, is to be a widow who is alive in body but dead in soul. I ask, what does it matter whether the sign of the inn of Adonis and of profane love be composed of a white plume of feathers or of crepe spread like a net around one's face? Thus, often black vesture aids vanity by bringing out a white complexion. The widow, having experience of the fashions that are most pleasing for men, casts all the more dangerous baits before their minds. Therefore, the widow who lives in the midst of such fond delights is dead while she lives, and is, properly speaking, a mere image of widowhood. As we read in the Song of Solomon, the time of pruning has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. 
The pruning of worldly excesses is necessary for all who desire to live devoutly, though it is especially necessary for the true widow who, like a chaste turtle dove, comes fresh from weeping, bewailing, and lamenting the loss of her husband. When Naomi returned from Moab to Bethlehem, the women of the town who had known her when she was first married said to one another, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means gracious and beautiful, but call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She said this because she had lost her husband. Thus, the devout widow never desires to be esteemed either beautiful or gracious, contenting herself to be such as God wishes her to be, that is to say, humble and lowly in her own eyes. Lamps that are fed with aromatic oil give off a sweeter smell when their flame is put out. So too, widows whose love was pure in marriage send forth a sweeter perfume of virtue and chastity when their light, namely their husband, is extinguished by death. It is ordinary for a woman to love her husband as long as he lives, but to love him so well that after his death she will hear of no other is a degree of love that belongs only to those who are widows indeed. To hope in God while her husband serves for a support is not so rare a thing, but to hope in God when she is destitute of this support is worthy of great praise. Thus, it is easier to know in widowhood how perfect were the virtues that a woman had during the time of her marriage. The widow who has children standing in need of her prudence and care, principally in what relates to their souls and their establishment in life, neither can nor should by any means abandon them. For the Apostle Paul says clearly, they are obliged to take care of their children, that they may give them what they themselves received from their parents. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But if her children no longer need her guidance, then the widow should gather together all her affections and thoughts, applying them more purely to her own advancement in the love of God. I counsel the true widow, unless some absolute necessity obligate her in conscience to engage in external troubles such as lawsuits, to avoid them altogether and to follow the most peaceable and quiet path in managing her affairs, even if it may not seem the most advantageous. For the advantages to be reaped from worldly troubles must be very great if they are to bear any comparison with the happiness of a holy tranquility let alone the fact that disputes and lawsuits distract the heart and often open a gate to the enemies of chastity, while in order to please those who favor they need, they must take on behaviors that are neither suitable to devotion nor pleasing to God. Let prayer be the widow's continual exercise. For given that she now should have no other love except for God, she should have very few words for anyone but God. For just as the iron in the presence of a diamond is hindered from following the magnetic attraction of a lodestone, but jumps toward it as soon as the diamond is removed, so too the heart of the widow, which during her husband's life could not give itself up so entirely to God, nor follow the attraction of his divine love, should immediately after his death run ardently after the sweet smell of the heavenly perfumes, as though she were to say, in imitation of the sacred spouse, O Lord, now that I am all my own, receive me as being wholly your own. Draw me after you. Let us make haste. The virtues proper for the life of a holy widow are perfect modesty, the renunciation of honors, ranks, assemblies, titles, and all such vanities, serving the poor and the sick, comforting the afflicted, instructing girls in a devout life, and making herself a perfect pattern of all virtues to young women. Necessity and plainness should be the two ornaments of her dress humility and charity, the ornaments of her actions, courtesy and meekness, the ornaments of her tongue, 
modesty and purity the ornaments of her eyes, and Jesus Christ crucified the only love of her heart. In short, the true widow is a little march violet in the church, sending forth an incomparable sweetness by the aroma of her devotion and keeping herself almost always concealed under the broad leaves of her lowliness, while her dark color testifies her mortification. She grows in cool and uncultivated places, not willing to be bothered by the conversation of worldly people, all the better to preserve the freshness of her life of her heart against all the heats that the desire for riches, honors, or even love might bring upon her. She is happier, says the Holy Apostle, if she remains as she is. I have many other things to say about this subject, but I can say everything by counseling the widow who cares tenderly for the honor of her condition to attentively read the excellent letters written by the great St. Jerome to Furia, Salvia, and all those other ladies who were so happy so as to be the spiritual daughters of so great a father. For nothing can be added to what he says to them, except this one admonition. The true widow should never blame nor censure those who pass to a second or even a third or fourth marriage. For in some cases, God arranges people's lives thus, for his greater glory. And she must always have before her eyes the traditional teaching that neither widowhood nor virginity have any place or rank in heaven except that which is assigned them for their humility. Chapter 41. A Word to Virgins. O virgins, I have only three words to say to you. For the rest you will find elsewhere. If you contemplate a temporal marriage, be careful to keep your first love for your first husband. In my opinion, it is a great deception to present, instead of an entire and sincere heart, a heart worn, spoiled, and exhausted in love. But if your good fortune should lead you to be called to pure and virginal spiritual espousals, and if you desire to preserve your virginity forever, then keep your love with all possible diligence for that divine spouse, who, being purity itself, loves nothing so much as purity, and to whom are due the first fruits of all things, though principally the first fruits of our love. St. Jerome's letters will furnish you with all the counsels necessary for you, and given that your condition requires you to live a life of obedience, choose a guide under whose direction you may more wholly dedicate your heart and body to his divine majesty. Okay, here we have what I guess our third day talking about sort of sexuality, human sexuality. We talked about the sacrament of marriage. We've talked about the sanctity of the marriage bed and of living out human sexuality within the context of marriage. And today, um, in these last two chapters, uh, this last episode of part three, St. Francis directs us to consider advice for single women, or we could say single people in general. I think principles apply across the board, um, and also to widows. So those who aren't married. I guess a way by which, or the way by which I've sort of situated St. Francis's advice in my mind is to consider chastity in the, this advice, this advice for the devout life in, ver- in the various states of life as a sort of preparation for holiness, but kind of in different modes, right? So the single person lives chastity to prepare for his or her vocation, whether that's marriage, priesthood, consecrated life. The married person lives chastity in the context of marriage, as we talked about on yesterday's episode. The celibate person, the priest, lives chastity in a particular way so as to imitate Christ and serve the church. The widow or the elderly live chastity for preparation for you know continued holiness and as people get older for a more proximate preparation for heaven, God willing. So I guess, Father Gregory, what are, let's, let's talk about chastity then in, in, 
And St. Francis' advice in in the context of, I was going to say singlehood. Is that a word? Singlehood? Don't think so. Marriedhood? Priesthood? Mm. Matrimony, priesthood, single singleton single that's what you call dumb. when you have one card <laughs> so let's talk about chastity yeah. in the context of singledom there it is bingo that's actually so i think that's actually a good way in which to start because i suspect a lot of folks who are single or widowed you know so we're married but are now single uh feel themselves kind of left out of a lot of church conversations you know so it's like the petitions at mass it's like let's pray for vocations priesthood religious life, maybe they add marriage, maybe they add the diaconate. And then the question is, you know, what about me, I suppose? Like, do I not have a vocation? And then you'll hear some people say that the single life is a vocation because they want to like esteem or dignify those who are not yet married or haven't yet entered into a state of life, a concrete, whatever, like ecclesial state. But I don't think that we want to make that move because I don't think that the single life is a vocation. But what we see here with St. Francis' description is that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Okay, so we can think of the words of Lumen Gentium, which was written in the middle of the 20th century at the Second Vatican Council. And there we read that the Christian faithful of whatever rank or state are called to the perfection of charity. And where God calls, right, he disposes unto that end. Like he gives you what you need in order to attain to the height, the grandeur of his calling. And then, okay, if that's the case, then how is God making it so? Well, he gives us just all kinds of good things to facilitate that transformation. So he gives us his Christ, he gives us his church, he gives us his sacraments, he gives us grace, virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, preaching, he gives us testimony of saints and sacramentals and all other kinds of things, right? He has made himself, he's just kind of pulled out all the stops if he were an organ player. And then when we think about ecclesial states, all right, that's one of the means that God uses, but it's by no means the most important means. He uses means more than once, um, right? Christ is the most important means. And ultimately, we're all meant to be saints in Christ by whatever way he chooses to draw us into communion with him, ultimately into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So occupying an ecclesial state, like entering into your vocation, is a great and glorious thing, especially since it provides a kind of framework for approaching Christ, his church, his sacraments, and all other things besides. But we shouldn't make an idol of those states of life. Ultimately, what we want to focus on are the gifts that God gives so that we can cultivate an appreciation for them and so that we can live them with a great intensity, with a great fervor and devotion. Um, so chastity is, like you said, it's it's a, an invitation proffered to all Christians, regardless of state and life. Will it be tailored to those states of life? Absolutely. But ultimately, the grace is there insofar as God desires that all be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And he's always giving us invitations or he's always kind of inspiring us, moving us in the direction of accepting that call and, uh, you know, and holding fast to it. So that's just a way of saying you don't have to like change church teaching in order to be dignified in the sight of God. You just have to appropriate, you just have to receive that teaching in all its fullness. And this is just a classic example of it. Yeah. And I think the, in all of that, like whether it's a vocation, state in life, you know, marriage, priesthood, consecrated life, or people are living singly for whatever reason, whether they're just unmarried, young and unmarried, widowed, widowers, all of those all of human all of human life and this is the point that saint francis is making throughout all of it is ordered to exactly what father gregory was just explaining all of it is simply ordered to christ 
to Jesus Christ. And when we look at, okay, well, how does that work then? Like, how do I, as a single person, how do I, as a priest, how do I, as a religious, a married person, how do a widow, how do I move towards Christ? Well, then the church gives particular tools. Um, Christ gives particular tools so as to live a whole integrated holy life a life of devotion, as St. Francis calls it, to be open to the graces um, that our Lord is calling us to, to know him, to be with him, to spend time with him, just to be a disciple. So as we're looking, I think uh, classically in my mind, maybe not classically, because can my mind do classical things? In my mind, <laughs> does, that, does my mind define what is classical? I would say usually in my mind, I think of single people as younger, you know, not having chosen a sort of state in life and widows and widowers as older. Now, of course, there can be exceptions there and there certainly are, but I think it's worth looking at them in those sort of classic distinctions, you know, single, younger, because St. Francis is talking about maidens um, and then he's talking about widows. So in thinking then about like chastity with respect to single people and, and widows, there's also that preparatory reality, of course, to heaven, but also to something. So with younger people, I like, I, I give the counsel often of, you know, for especially like, I don't know, and I, I had been a vocation director for a handful of years. So I was often chatting with young men about like priestly vocations, but always counseling them to like, consider like, what is, what are you doing now in your life? because this is not wasted time. You know, even if you're unsure about what the Lord is calling you to, what are you doing now? Because this is a time of preparation. Our Lord is bestowing graces and 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 blessings and his life upon you so that you may be prepared to give yourself in a particular way when when called upon. And chastity is one of those things. You know, like how are you living your how are you growing in your sort of human sexuality? such that you might be able to give yourself in an unencumbered way when the Lord asks, whether that's in the context of marriage, whether that's in religious life or in the priesthood, or, you know, and it's the same for women too. So I think this preparatory sort of thing is a really important lens through which to see um, St. Francis's advice here because, because it allows us to enter into a life of devotion and without, without feeling as if like, ah, I'm not there yet. Or like one day, then I can actually dive in, you know, the, the diving in is now the diving in is now. And I think the other, on the other end of the spectrum, if we can, you know, bear with my sort of classical understanding of widows, widowers as older, well, what's the preparation there? Well, it's really for heaven. It's really for heaven. You know, it's, there's, there's something beautiful about being, you know, focused on that, being focused on getting ready at the end of life, even if that's a good chunk of time to be with Christ in heaven. So I think both are, neither are, are times to be seen as, as wasted. And I think that's a, that's, that's a super, that, that's an, I think an encouraging thing. I hope it's an encouraging thing. Yeah. And I would say too, like even for young people, that same insight applies insofar as we are made for heaven and specifically we're made for a kind of spousal or covenantal intimacy with our Lord in heaven. So we read in the sacred scriptures, you know, in heaven, they will neither be married nor given in marriage, which leads to a lot of anxiety among married couples who fear that they might be separated for some arbitrary reason in heaven. I would say, don't worry about that. Okay. The only reason for which marriage breaks down in heaven is because marriage is a sacrament. So marriage is a sign of God's love for his church, with a, which a man mediates to the woman and the woman mediates to the man. But in heaven, there's no need for signs because in heaven, we'll just have the realities. 
St. John Damascene says that God is an infinite ocean of substance, and in heaven we will swim in that infinite ocean of substance. So marriage will pass away insofar as like faith passes away and hope passes away, and everything which has some modicum of imperfection will pass away because we'll just have the real deal. And at the end of the day, the real deal is that we'll have Christ, right? He'll be all in all, and we'll each enjoy him in a way that is, like we said, you know, perfect, spousal, intimate covenantal, etc. And so it's that that we look forward to. And ultimately the present moment now, the life of grace and of virtue is our proximate preparation. And so it's not to be like Father Jacob Bertrand, you were saying, it's not to be looked beyond or gotten over. It's to be, you know, embraced with that intention in mind. Because when we, please God, end in heaven, we'll look back at our time on earth and we'll know it to have been already then and there, heaven on earth, right? So it begins now. The life of grace is just the life of glory kind of in germ or in preparation. So we need to embrace that reality if we're going to make the most of it. Okay, so all that's great and true and important to keep in mind as we continue to progress through St. Francis's book here and, and work and grow and develop the habits of life of devotion. This, as I mentioned, I think a couple of times already, is the last episode, the last chapters of part three of the book. So this this third part of the book, we've been considering counsels for the practice of the virtues. So we've considered a whole host of virtues, how to grow in them, what to look for in them, how they're conducive to the life of holiness. So in our last you know couple minutes together, Father Gregory, can we sort of give a, a brief summary of, of what we've chatted about over the last handful of episodes in this, in this part. Yeah, I think the basic insight is that we operate, or <laughs> I should say, we are on two levels. We're human beings, but we're also human doings. Insofar as, you know, we've been given this nature, but this nature, this human nature is poised for a certain activity. And the thing with the virtues is that they perfect our exercise of those different activities. And so what we've seen over the course of the last long part, you know, part three is the longest part of the introduction to the devout life, accounting for like almost half the book. Uh, that's a slight exaggeration, but it feels that way sometimes. Um, what we've been talking about is perfecting our operation. And you might think like, okay, well, is that just kind of like some sort of exercise so that when we arrive in heaven, we'll look fighting fit so that we can then repose in a state of permanent rest? No. Because the church's tradition says that heaven is an activity, right? Heaven will have us firing on all cylinders. It's not just a matter of like passively looking at God and thinking like, well, isn't he swell? No, it's about uh, charging further up and further in into that divine life unto ages of ages, not with like fatigue or sorrow or with uh, like any fear that it's going to be diminished or lost, but with a kind of dynamism, with a kind of, yeah, perfection unto perfection. So... This, all this consideration of the virtues is how we, you know, grow in our lives here on earth, but ultimately how we make that preparation for heaven, which we've just described. And then as we turn to the next part, part four, we'll be considering those temptations which try to draw us off course, right? To distract us or to disperse us or to otherwise discourage us from our pursuit, uh, which we've outlined over the course of the past few episodes. All right. Well, there you have it. We're wrapping up part three. Tomorrow, we're going to carry on to part four, consider those temptations, those things that might knock us off the path to devotion, but fear not. We've been equipped with a ready tool belt so far, so we'll be able to handle them and tackle them together. So that's it for today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to hear some other conversations from us on different subjects, uh, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. 
There, you will find weekly episodes on different Catholic topics with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.